This morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. So you find your way there. Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of the great evangelist Billy Graham, recounted a discussion she had with her father before he passed about aging. And what he said was, he said, all my life people have taught me how to die, but no one ever taught me how to age. He conveyed that to her. Her reply was, well, Daddy, you are now teaching us all. And she would have been right. There are a number of talking heads today, from financial advisors to life coaches to try and show people how to age well and how to enjoy life as well as they can. But this is worthy of consideration. Middle-aged adults, so those ages 35 to 64 years old, account for 47% of all suicides in the United States. And while adults age 75 and older account for fewer than 10% of all suicides, they have the highest suicide rate. Men age 75 and older have the highest rate compared to other age groups. Regardless of your age today, we're all aging. We're all aging, right? You are a day older today than you were yesterday. You're older, five, you're older now than you were five minutes ago. We're all aging. The question is, how are we aging? That is the question. Many, unfortunately, are not aging well. Many will point to the hardships of life, the unfairness that comes with life as for the reason as to why they're not aging well. But life was extremely hard for the Christians in 1 Peter, and it was extremely unfair. But Peter was moved to give them direction on how they were to spend the remainder of their days on earth. And the direction that he gave them is for us today exact as he gave it to them in terms of how, no matter where you are in life right now, in terms of the rest of your life from this moment on, what we're going to begin to unpack this morning gives us a roadmap for how we are to age well. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things to watch is to watch people age poorly. And you see the bitterness, you see the, just, they're, they're just, it's like, it's awful. They're mad, they're, they're down, they're, 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 just, they're just aging as poorly as you can age. You think, man, wow. Listen, <laughs> the time that the believers had on earth in 1 Peter... I mean, it was, I mean, they were dying by the seconds. So Peter's point was, however much time you got left, which could be that? Which, is that not true for us? What does the Bible say in James 4? What is this life? A vapor. So between right now and your final breath or the rapture, you're going to get some insight clearly from the Word of God on how to age well. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now here we go. This is where we extract our focus on aging well. 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Again, 1 Peter is the most Pauline of all the general epistles, and you see that here in verse 1, where Peter said, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Of course, that mind is the mind of Christ. And we know from Philippians 2 verse 5 that we are to have his mind in us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, is the verse. And in that same section of Philippians 2, we see that Christ Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So once again, we're being challenged to suffer or endure hardness in a Christ-like way. Now, let me make sure we're clear because it is, I understand just how we are wired as a people, as an American people in 2022. And when I say suffering, again, what many people subtly hear or what they mistake for that is reaping from their poor decisions. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the discomfort that you might be feeling because you've maxed out five credit cards. That, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you are suffering because you are living and walking in a Christ-like way. And when you live that way, that will invite suffering and persecution in your life. You see the difference? Okay, that's what we're talking about. But our first point for aging well today is observed in the statement, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. That word arm, it means to equip. So equip yourself. And that has in view equipping yourself with the weapons that you need for battle, which contextually, that was the situation here. You're, they, listen, the, the, the believers at this time needed no reminder of the reality of the spiritual warfare in the lives of the believer. They got that. So Peter, when he said, arm yourselves, they, they would have understood that very, very clearly. So if you're going to age well, you must furnish your mind. If you're going to age well, you must furnish your mind. This has to do with supplying your mind with what it needs for battle. You've got to furnish your mind. Remember what Peter said in chapter 1 and verse 13 of this epistle, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. So that was a call to prepare your mind for service and battle. But arming the mind is furnishing it with what it needs to battle. And this is something that you and I must do. You must furnish or arm your mind for battle. And Peter tells us what that looks like. We must furnish our minds with the mind of Christ. That is how you arm your mind. Not your mind, not the mind of the world, but with the mind of Christ that you have. Without furnishing the mind with the mind of Christ, it is absolutely impossible to age well and to suffer well. It is impossible. Consider Hebrews 12 and verse 3. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Arming ourselves with the mind of Christ prevents us from fainting in battle. It does. Now, I'm going to share something with you that you have in your notes that Jesus said and says that I just, I, I mean, I feel like in terms of the size of it, I feel like the size of what we're about to read, if I had to equate it to anything, would be Mount Everest. And I am standing next to it. Like, wow, Lord, I don't think I have the vocabulary, I don't have the intelligence to adequately capture what you are saying here. But it was to his disciples, and it is directly to us. And it is the truth. It can only be the truth because he says it. God is not a man that he should lie. It was impossible for God to lie. So this is the truth. Would you look at it? John 15, 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Now here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. This is incredible. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You realize how I do have a big, hard head. Some of you are like, yeah, you do have a big, hard head. But again, compared to Mount Everest, it's like a pea, right? Like a snow pea. It's just nothing. It's like a mustard seed. What are you talking about? For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. What do you do with that? That is incredible. Folks, that is as deep as it is simple. You know, one of the things the Lord dealt with me about uh, the other day, uh, just in my time with him, was about just making sure I stay in that childlike place where I don't lose the wow factor. The wow factor of wow. This is a wow factor moment. Lord, have you really communicated everything that the Father communicated to you? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I could live a million lives and still not exhaust that. But you know what it also does? It emphatically reveals that we do, in fact, have everything that we need to furnish our minds with the mind of Christ. I am, and so are you, without excuse. He has not held anything back from us. He has not hidden anything. He is not, you know, well, I'll just keep this. No, no, no. He has given it to us. And this is one of the reasons that the devil attacks you the way that he does. He has seen what the Word of God can do when it fully furnishes the mind. And he does not want that to happen in your life. Satan will work in your life and around your life based on at whatever level you allow him to, to keep you away from and out of this book. 
And tragically, some of us put the welcome mat out for that. My wife totally warmed my heart a few weeks ago. I mean, just warmed my heart. Where is she, by the way? Oh, there you are. You were moving around this morning. I saw you over here, over there. I didn't know where you sat. So there you are. But she is, she is reading through the Gospel of Mark in her quiet time. And praise the Lord for that. And she has just been enjoying herself with the Lord uh, just in her time with Mark. But she was asked to speak at a ladies' gathering at Crest Bible Church a few weeks ago. So she was in preparation for that. She set Mark aside and gave herself to preparation for that. And when that was over, she said something to me, and she said it in a yearning voice. It was from her heart. It was, it was from her soul. She said, I'm ready to get back to Mark. Like I could just hear in her voice. I, 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 could, I, could, I could smell just in those words. I, I, I could taste her longing, her yearning to, to spend time with God and his word. I'm going to tell you, that is the most beautiful incredible. You talk about filling my cup. There is nothing that lights me up like seeing my wife have an appetite, a desire, a longing, a love for the Word of God. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. Even in a church like this, the reality is that some are consistently inconsistent when it comes to furnishing their mind with the mind of Christ. For every day they manage to spend time with God and His Word, there are several more where they don't, and it washes that out. So when life shows up, and it always does, doesn't it? They're not armed with the mind of Christ, so they're not ready. Not ready for battle. But would you notice very carefully one of the incredible blessings, one of the most incredible benefits of furnishing the mind with Christ from verse 1. Look at the end of this. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. We saw again from chapter 3 that Christ also hath once suffered for sins. So Jesus suffered in the flesh for all sin. He has paid the sin debt, and because of that, the believer is freed from sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 12 give you the emphatic data on that. But there is a practical takeaway here. Suffering in a Christ-like way suppresses your desire to sin. It does. It absolutely does. When you suffer in a Christ-like way, it suppresses your desire. You're not thinking about the carnal, temporal things of the flesh, of this world. You're not. When you're suffering in a Christ-like way, that means that you have armed yourself with the mind of Christ. So guess where your thoughts are? Your thoughts are not on carnality. Your thoughts are on the things of the Word of God. Your thoughts are on the person of Christ. Later in this chapter, we'll talk about the fiery trials. But listen, one of the blessings of fiery trials 
You know what they do? Fiery trials burn out the impurities of our lives. When you go through the fire, that's what a fire does. It has a purifying effect. This is one of the reasons why we need these times. But arming ourselves with his mind allows us to suffer and age well. Listen very carefully as we transition to the next point here in just a moment. One of the causes of aging miserably is an unfurnished mind. That is one of the reasons. That is an unfurnished mind. If your mind is not furnished with the mind of Christ, you will age miserably. You will. You will hate life. You will wonder if the Word of God and the Christian life, is it really true or is it a fairy tale? This is the truth. If you don't have the mind of Christ, you know what you will do? God will use you to teach people how not to age. That's how it will work. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So the rest of his time in the flesh refers to how we are to live until the rapture or until physical death, hence the message title, Aging Well. The rest of our time, whatever that number is, is not to be lived to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Listen, if you are aging well, if you are going to age well, then here you go, you must fixate your mind. You must fixate your mind. This deals with the arrestment of the mind. What we're talking about here is what is it that has or holds your mind hostage? Whatever that is, is what you have fixated your mind on. And a furnished mind will be a mind that is fixated, listen, on the will of God, not the lust of men. This is the byproduct of a furnished mind. It will be a mind that is fixated on the will of God, not the lust of men. A critical question from last week was, what does God require of me? This is a critical question. If your mind is furnished with the mind of Christ, the answer to that will be crystal clear. And then from there, guess what you will do? You will fixate your mind on that. Nothing else. What drives unbelievers into a miserable state where suicide becomes a viable option is their mind is fixated on the things of the flesh and the world. They have followed the financial counsel of their financial advisor to the letter. They have maintained their health in an optimal way. They have done everything the world has told them that they should do to age and live well, yet they can't understand why they feel as hollow as a giant sinkhole in the ground. 
Had a guy tell me one time, I said, I understand, I've got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars put away. Yet I feel like a total failure. And I said, the reason you feel like a total failure is because you don't know what true success is. You have to understand what true success is, and Charles Schwab can't help you with that. But here's why they feel like a failure. Here's why suicide becomes a viable option. Ephesians 5.17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God, according to 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, would have what? All men to be saved. So that is his will for all men. That is his will for every unbeliever is that they would be saved. But when someone rejects that, they attempt to find purpose and meaning beyond what God desires of them. From the beginning, God says, I desired and I desire an eternal relationship with man. That hasn't changed. That ultimately, though, leads to frustration and for some, suicide. But this is not limited to unbelievers, is it? We know Ephesians 5.17 was written to believers in the church age, so that's talking directly to us. And some are foolish in that they do not understand what the will of the Lord is. Would you notice very carefully? We can gloss over this. Would you look at Ephesians 5.17? Would you notice very carefully what Paul did not say? He did not say, no, what the will of the Lord is, did he? That's not what he said. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but what? Understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is the Midtown Baptist Temple. The issue here, for the most part, is not knowing the will of the Lord. Many of you right now, without any preparation, can stand up and say, let me give you all the verses that show you what the will of the Lord is. You can do that like that. Praise the Lord. Here's the issue, though. Hang tight. Understanding means, listen, to have the same ideas as the person who speaks. In other words... What that means is, is I see this the same way as you do. It's not something that I just know. No, 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 I understand it. I, I, I'm synced with you in, in, in head and in heart. I'm on the same page as you are as it pertains to this. And how do we get there? What did Paul say? Wherefore, be ye not what? unwise. Guess what happens when you furnish your mind with the mind of Christ? What happens? You get wisdom. You're not unwise. 
And when you get wisdom, guess what? The will of God becomes more than just information. It becomes something that you understand. And because you've got wisdom and understanding as it pertains to the will of the Lord, guess what you do from there? You fixate your mind on that. You fixate your mind on it. This is it. As I find myself aging, Lord willing, I'll be 50 this year. As I find myself aging as a middle-aged man and I'm observing others aging, I'm going to tell you, I keep observing a fatal error. Fatal. I keep observing a fatal error. And that is taking an approach of conservation instead of consecration. This is a fatal error. And I keep saying it as people, believers that is, as they age. Conservation, that approach is where people say, I'm going to be very careful to preserve the best of my resources for me. My body, my money, my time, that, the best of that will be spent on me and my interest. This is a fatal error. And in the process, guess what that leads to? That now says to God, you will get second best in my life and you will get the leftovers of my life. I'm conserving the best for me. You do not get that. So when it comes to my body, when it comes to my time, when it comes to my money, you can get in line. But you're not first. You're not preeminent. This is a fatal error. And here is a carnal visual of it. Malachi chapter 1, verse 8. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. Listen, the people, the people would have understood. They, I'm sorry. The people would have known. <laughs> Leviticus 22 verses 21 and 22, which prohibited them from offering those types of sacrifices to God. They would have known that. The problem was they did not understand it. Which is why they were offering God second best, which is why they were offering him the leftovers of their life, because they didn't understand the will of God when it came to worship. So instead of setting apart their best, they set apart their second best. They would conserve the best for themselves, 
brothers and sisters, did you hear what God says in Malachi 1 verse 8? What is that? That's evil. That's evil. To rob God, to set God to the back seat of your life. I'll serve you when I can, however I can. I'll I'll fit you in somehow here and there. But at the end of the day, my approach is conservation. I got to look out for me. I got to take care of me. Which is why, oh my goodness, fasten your seatbelt. God ensures that stingy believers age poorly. Amen. He sees to it. God says, you're going to rob me. You're going to designate me to the back seat of your life. You're going to appoint second best and leftovers to me. God says, I will personally escort you into aging as poorly and as miserably as you could possibly age. No way. God says, you don't treat your politicians that way. (laughs) I tell you, it's funny. People get into the argument of, uh, is tithing for the New Testament? Oh, this, that, and the other. And I look at their life and I say, like, you, do you know why you spend what you spend on your car payments? Do you know why you give T-Mobile and, and Hulu and Netflix and, and why, why you spend the money you spend on having all the bells and whistles of life? You know why you do that? Because it's worth it to you. That means that much to you. And the reason you give God the leftovers from whatever's left from after you've given your first and your best to yourself and to the world for the devil's glory, the reason you throw God a tip is because that's who he is to you. That's what he's worth to you. He's not worth consecration. You are worth conservation. You are preeminent. You are playing God in your life. You have appointed yourself, your life as an idol. And I'm telling you, that is something that God is going to obliterate. God says, I'll have no other gods before me, including you. (laughs) Would you hear the Lord this morning with me? Matthew 10, 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The first half of this verse captures the heart and life of those who take a conservation approach. He that findeth his life shall lose it. That's conservation. What is the outcome? They lose. They lose. The approach of conservation is a losing approach. But the second half of this verse captures those who take a consecration approach. 
And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Lord, (laughs) here's my life. I don't have a life. Colossians 3 tells me that Christ is my life. That my life is hid in Christ. So God, here's my life. Here's my checkbook. Here's my calendar. Here's my body. It's yours. It's all yours. God, here's a blank sheet of paper called my life. You get to write on it whatever you want to write. You call every shot. This is your life. It's not mine. I'm yours. I've been bought with a price. You own me. I have no opinion. I have no rights. I have no agenda. I have no interest. I have no ambition beyond whatever brings you pleasure, honor, and glory. That's it. And what is the outcome? You win. You win. I'm afraid that for some of you, you know what the will of the Lord is. The problem is you don't understand it. And that is evident by the fact that instead of fixating your mind on the will of the Lord, your fixation is constantly trying to figure out how you can make room and time for it. And God notices. And so you are living your life to the lust of men. In other words, you are fixated on the same things that lost people are. And in closing, I'm telling you, that, my friends, is a prescription for aging poorly. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We do ask that it would not return void. Lord, help us to furnish our mind with your mind and help us to fixate our mind on what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.